0: Oh, good evening. How's everyone? Good. You enjoying the weather? The good the good weekend? Day off everyone's thinking of, right? I hope you got the day off. My name's Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at the Neighborhood Church, and uh, it's good to be here tonight as we continue, as Pastor John mentioned in our series, uh, Summer Psalter. And tonight we're going to be looking at Psalm 63. And so if you've got a Bible or a phone or something that you read your scriptures on and you want to go there, you can go there. We're not going to go there quite yet, but we will get there shortly. But before I start, allow me to try to illustrate something that I think can maybe get our minds in a place tonight where I think this this it'll be very applicable to what the psalms trying to say. I don't think I would be out of line to suggest that we live in a culture that enjoys instant and quick fixes. Anyone agree? Okay? We like things fast. We like things Quick, and I think this affects how we, how we eat, how we shop, how we work, etc., so much so that I think we naturally turn away from or intentionally try to avoid anything that's really too time-consuming. If we can get it done quicker some way else, usually that's what we will opt for. Now, don't get me wrong. I think sometimes, surely, there is some wisdom in this, right? There's no need to complicate a process when a quicker solution is available um, some way else, um, but I think that this instant culture is seen a lot in the world we live in. Some of you see the picture on the screen, you think, hey, that was my house this morning, right? Um, some of you are like, that should have been my house this morning, the tracking said it was coming, right? And I, I, I know none of you check the tracking obsessively or anything like that, Right? Okay, Anyways, we won't go there. But we like things quick. We, we, we like things. I'll give a couple examples. Drive-through food, right? Or coffee. Um, before this whole pandemic happened, I used to actually walk into Starbucks every morning to get my coffee. Now, since it started, I had to drive-through. But since we've actually opened up again, I prefer drive-through. It's quicker, right? You stay in your car, get something through the window, goes a lot faster. Skip the dishes. Don't have to deal with cooking, don't have to deal with anything in the house, doesn't make any mess, comes to the door, eat it out of the plate, throw it in the garbage. Quick, fast, instant. Online shopping, as the boxes suggest, right? Where would we be sometimes without some of these instant, quick uh, shipping methods? I don't know about you, but I've literally ordered something before on a Thursday, and it's been at my house before the end of the evening on a Friday. Not always that good, okay? So don't hold that standard, but it happens sometimes. Uh, Internet speeds. Uh, They say that a person will pay attention to a, a page on the internet loading for about three seconds before they give up and quit that idea and move on to something else. We've definitely been conditioned to expect things fast and easy. And in some cases, this is helpful. But I think the downside to all of this is that not everything is instant. And not everything is a quick fix. And so when something calls for our time, for our attention, let's go even deeper, calls for our devotion. What if it actually calls for us to be disciplined in order for it to happen? It's easy to want to avoid that, I think. And our culture has made it easy for us to want to shy away from that kind of an idea. You see, in our closest relationships, how many of you know that we can't just settle for instant and quick, quick fixes? It just doesn't happen that way. But relationships with those you love and are not, not something Sorry, that you try to put the least or minimal amount of effort or attention into. But the closest relationships always require that we give of our time, and they always require that we give of ourselves. And so with this in mind, let's read Psalm 63 um, as we continue in our series through the Psalms. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. I'll be fully satisfied as with the riches of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed... I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I will sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They'll be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. And all who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced." And so this is a psalm of David where the context tells us that he was in the desert of Judah. Now, most scholars, scholars actually kind of disagree on uh, where exactly he was in his life at this point and what he was doing. But most scholars believe that he was at one of two points in his life, David, that is. It was either when he was fleeing from King Saul, who was just trying to take his life and uh, was jealous of him, Or many seem to suggest that it was actually in a time when he was older, and he had walked with God a long time, and his own son, Absalom, had actually risen up against him, and usurped the throne, and he'd created this coup against David, and so either way, David doesn't find himself in a good situation here, unless you like running for your life. Probably not the place that you want to find yourself in this situation, And so David has two options. He could either stay in Jerusalem and possibly die, or leave Jerusalem towards the wilderness and trust in his heart that God will be faithful. You see, David is betrayed, likely here, by his own son. Can you imagine the emotions that would well up in a situation like that? David has been through extreme highs and lows as he walked with God. And in this moment, he knew that he didn't need to get stressed. He knew that the first thing he didn't need to do was worry, but the thing to do was to pursue God, was to seek God. And that's exactly what he says at the start of this psalm. That's exactly what he's going to do. Notice how this psalm begins. Much like last week, as Pastor John mentioned, it doesn't begin with him talking about those who are trying to harm him who are trying to take his life, it doesn't begin with him talking about the problems that he's going through, but it begins with an acknowledgement that, God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. And I think this is an example for us, church, that to learn what God has done in David's heart, because there was a maturity to him. There was a maturity in his writings. There was a maturity in the way he chose to pray. And rather than focus on everything that was surrounding him, even the intense heat and dryness of the desert, he chooses to seek the Lord. He chooses to seek God. Now, for those of you who like facts, the word seek appears 243 times in the Old and New Testament together. And so the word seek in our world, a definition of the word seek would be this. It would be to search or to desire with the intent to obtain or to achieve. And in our modern language, when someone seeks something, we may use language like, well, they're really going for it, right? Or they're on a mission to obtain that. They're putting in the hard work. They're making sure that it happens. But in the way it's used biblically, a biblical definition for the word seek is this, is to, is, is to conscious, fi- is conscious fixing or focusing your mind's attention and your heart's affection on God. Fixing and focusing your mind's attention and your heart's affection on God. It means to moment by moment and day by day fix our mind's attention and the affection of our heart, we direct that towards God. We look to him. We long for him. We want to seek him. You see, David's seeking, first of all, is personal. He says, oh God, you're my God. He doesn't simply say that you're the God of Abraham, um, Isaac, and Jacob, which was true, especially in the times where the Psalms was written. But he boils it down to something very personal. And he says, God, you're my God. You're the God I serve. I know you. You see, David's relationship with God was personal and he knew him and he sought him and he sought him with faith and with expectation and the scriptures exhort us all over the place to seek God, don't they? In the book of Proverbs chapter eight and verse 17, we read this, that those, those who diligently seek me, find me. Those who diligently seek me, find me. In Matthew chapter seven, we read this, ask and it will be given to you Seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds and the one and to the one who knocks the door will be opened and the language That the book of Matthew uses here does not suggest that we only ask once or that we only seek once or that we only knock once, but we ask, we seek, we knock. This isn't just a one time thing, but the verb used here is continuous. Jesus uses what is called the present imperative tense, and this carries with it the idea that we will keep on doing it, that we never stop. It becomes a pursuit of our lives. We keep asking, we keep seeking, we keep knocking. You see, coming into relationship with God isn't just a one-time transaction. It's not just a one-time moment, but it's a lifelong journey as we continue to ask, as we come before Him and seek Him, as we knock, we look to Him. And so when I read this psalm, I'm going to choose two themes today. There's, there's more themes than this, but I want us to look at two themes this evening that I think are here Um, and the first one is a determination to seek God, and the second one is taking time to remember and reflect on how God has been faithful to you. So spoilers, okay? But let's start with that first one, a determination to seek God. Let's first look at David's desire to seek God and what, what that could really mean for us today. You see, when you choose to pursue God, what you're essentially saying is, God, I trust you. I trust that you're faithful. I trust that you're with me. And whatever's going on, you can handle it. You see, our, our, our pursuit of God takes us from a pride and arrogance that may be tempted to think, I got this, or I can handle this on my own, or I could take care of this myself. You see, in a self-sufficient culture, where, where we often don't like to ask for help even to other people, or because sometimes we might think to ourselves, it makes us appear weak, Pursuing God, I think, is a way of living humbly and acknowledging that we need him and that we depend on him. This is where David, in this psalm, finds himself in the desert. You see, his situation is not good, but he starts not with the challenges, but he starts with God, and his starting point is to seek God. And he knows that regardless of what What's happening, regardless of what he's experiencing, that this is what he must do. And throughout Scripture, we see time and time again that it's not simply what we do for God that's important. But it's that we are with God, longing for God, connected to him in relationship. I fear sometimes that we live our lives as Christians sometimes with simply a to-do list assuming that what really matters is what we do for God. And don't get me wrong, good good, good deeds, good works, ministry, it's all important, but perhaps there's something that supersedes even that, that we need to put back in its place of priority. Let's look at a short story Jesus tells in Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had said, but Mary was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, "'Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me.'" "'Martha, Martha,' the Lord answered, "'You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed.'" or indeed only one, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. How many of you are familiar with this story? It's a familiar story that I think lots of us have read before, but I think it illustrates a truth to us about our human nature and our natural tendencies sometimes. And that being that a lot of the times we like to find worse in what we do, don't we? We like to find worth in what we do. Think about when you meet someone. It doesn't take long before someone eventually asks you the question, so what do you do? And when they're asking you that, what they're actually asking you is, so, so how do you get paid, right? And oftentimes, you get defined by that, or, or or you get associated with that, or you get painted with that from time to time. Oftentimes, it's the first question asked showing that we find a lot of our identity, I think, in this world, in what we do. And Jesus is invited into Mary and Martha's home for dinner in this story, and is forced to teach Martha something about what matters most, about where we truly find our identity, and that is not in what we do, but it's in him. It's in being with him. It's in seeking him. You see, Mary and Martha were sisters, but they had different priorities while in the presence of Jesus. And as you know, one of them sat and listened and just communed with Jesus that day, and the other was busy trying to get stuff done and seemed to be bothered by the whole thing. And maybe we live in a culture that focuses sometimes on what what, what can we do for God, or, or we focus on what we think God wants us to do for Him, that perhaps we've forgotten that the best thing that we can do is simply seek Him or be with Him. Amen? Simply seek or be with Him. Because it's one thing to know about God, but it's an entirely different thing altogether to actually know Him. It's one thing to know about God, but it's an entirely different thing to actually know Him. And this was something I always tried to remind myself when I was a student in college— Um, I was learning so much about God at that time, taking theology classes, studying the Bible, going through um, all this this academic work, which was amazing. But I had to recognize, while it was good and amazing, that the chief aim of my life was not simply to know facts and information about God, but there was this desire, this need, this call in Scripture to know Him personally and to walk in relationship with Him. And to not neglect the work of seeking him. And I think recognizing that and knowing that keeps us from a faith that simply engages our mind. And takes us to a faith that really reaches and engages our hearts. And brings us closer to the source of life. And so Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha is working hard. And Martha is like, can't you see how hard I'm working? All I'm doing, all I'm serving here, tell my sister to do something productive. Like we've all been there, haven't we? Where we see people slacking on the job or not doing something we think that they should be doing. And Jesus essentially says, Martha, you're all stressed out and consumed. You're missing out. But really, at the end of the day, only one thing is needed. And what does Jesus say about Mary? She's chosen what is best. She's chosen what is best. And this thing that Mary has chosen will never be taken from her. It's not temporary. You see, investing in seeking God and spending time listening to Jesus is something that can never be taken away from you. You see, Sometimes less is more. Maybe some of us have thought that the end goal of the Christian life is to be very busy. And yet perhaps the one thing that we can begin to do that will really change things is to begin to pursue and seek God in daily communion, in regular communion. Perhaps we've settled for a Martha style of living when what Mary did is where we all really need to find ourselves more often. Spending time with Jesus. You see, seeking God will require some intentionality. Seeking God will require commitment. This isn't something that we're just going to randomly fall into or arrive in by fluke. And so we have to adjust our attitudes and I think our expectations when it comes to seeking him. You see, how many of you have ever thought to yourselves in regards to something, well, I'm open to that. Anyone ever thought that before? Someone brings something up and you think, I'm open to that. I, I know I've said it before. I know I've thought it before. There's a lot of things that probably, you know, I haven't really pursued with my life, but if the opportunity came up, I'd be open to it. Let me paint a little scenario for you tonight, okay? If somebody walked into this room tonight with a million dollars, okay, and they, are, they were going to offer it to one person out of all of us in here, how many of you are open to it? Anyone? You're probably open to it, right? I know I am for sure, okay? I'd totally be open to receiving that money, but you know what? I'd probably take it a step further than that, okay? In fact, I'd probably be sort of trying to get myself near this person, hey, hey, I'm Jordan, how are you, right? And trying to meet them, and getting to know them, and I'd probably be putting in a little bit more effort so that I could be noticed here, given that there was a gigantic amount of money being given out, and I would move from simply having the attitude when it comes to that money that, yeah, I'd be open to it, I'd probably start pursuing it, is what I think I would do. And I think sometimes, and and why I bring this up, is I think this is so applicable in our relationship with God. I say sometimes we live with this attitude, well, you know, I'd be open to getting to know God more. I'd be open to those rich experiences with God. I'd be open to learning more about the Bible. I'd be open to becoming a person of prayer. I'd be open to trying fasting sometimes. But as long as we live with an attitude of just, I'd be open to it, we're missing what I think Scripture calls us to do. Because Scripture doesn't just call us to be open to an experience with God, but Scripture tells us to pursue it, and to seek it, and to look for it, right? And to bring ourselves in a position where we can be there getting to know him. You see, there's a big difference between simply being open to something and instead actually pursuing something. You see, many of us in our jobs want to raise, but some of us really pursue it, right? I'm not speaking about myself here, okay? Just got here, okay? Many in our marriages, right, we're open to happy relationships, and to do so, we need to put the time in and pursue loving our partners. Many of us um, say that we're Open to new opportunities all the time, but some people actually pursue them and they get there. And I don't think we can simply live our Christian lives with an attitude that we're, you know, I'm open to whatever God wants to do in my life. But the scriptures instruct us, I believe, to go further. And our relationship with God must be something we pursue, it must be something that we're intentional about. And Jesus commends Mary in that story in Luke chapter 10 for choosing what's best. You see, there's a time and place for work and deeds, no question. But we must never, ever get to the point in our lives as believers where we do things for God at the expense of actually knowing him. At the expense of actually knowing him. And we don't seek him to earn his love. We don't seek him to earn his favor or even really for our benefit. But we seek him because, like David, we recognize he's God, and that he's mighty, and that he's worthy, he's trustworthy. A couple more thoughts just on this. You see, the pursuit of God is not simply a pursuit of self-improvement. Where we pursue God, we don't simply seek his hands and what he can do for us, but we seek his face. We seek him. We seek who he is. It's not just about what God can do for us, but rather what God desires to do in us, I believe, that matters as we seek Him. You see, we're not necessarily called to pursue blessings, but we're called to pursue God, His face, to really know and walk with Him. And as we do this, we discover, I think, that we have all we need when we do that. You see, I think sometimes we can be a little bit misguided in our pursuit, And if we're not careful, we find ourselves pursuing what God can do for us or help us with rather than pursuing him because he is Lord and we love him. Jonathan Edwards said it like this. He said this, he said, the mark of authentic spiritual experience is that you become satisfied with God for who he is and not just the benefits that he gives you. You see, sometimes... I wonder if we seek God simply to get what we need, when in reality, what we truly need is to know him. What we truly need is closer relationship with him, to know him, to love him, to walk with him. You know, I think of the woman at the well who was drawing water in John chapter 4, and Jesus started to talk to her, and Jesus made it clear to her, and he makes it clear to us when he answered her. He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them this, a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. You see, Jesus is our one true fulfillment, and we must seek him. And this has to be something that each of us makes a personal choice on, okay? I can't live off of someone else's relationship with God. You can't do that either. You know, I think of that parable that Jesus talks, where they're waiting for the bridegroom, and some have oil, some don't have oil, some run out, and they try to borrow from other people. You can't do that. It can't happen. And in a similar way, with a slightly different context, we can't expect that we can live off of someone else's relationship with God. Because my parents pray, or because my spouse prays, or because my closest friends pray, or because my kids pray, that we're all of a sudden okay. But we also need to be people personally, who pray and seek the Lord ourselves. You see, it's not enough to know or be close to those who are close to God, but we need to have our own personal relationship and seeking and knowing Him too. And we can't borrow that from other people. That's something that is called to each believer to experience ourselves. You can't live off of someone else's intimacy with the Lord, but you must also pursue your own And so what are some reasons why we don't seek God? Well, I got a few here that I thought of. Uh, Number one, I think we get distracted. How many of you get distracted ever? Anyone? You set out to do something. Fifty minutes later, you don't even remember what you set out to do, right? The phone rang. You got on your phone, perhaps. um, Someone called. Something happened. You noticed something different that seemed better at the time. We've all gotten distracted. There's so much in our culture, I think, that calls out for our attention, You know, they say that most of us see thousands of advertisements each week, and that's not even talking about technology and entertainment. But we sometimes get distracted. And Jesus was talking in the Sermon on the Mount to a group of people who were worried and upset and distracted by many things in Matthew chapter 6. And here's what he says to them in verse 33. He says, in light of all that, in light of all your worries, in light of what all you're thinking about, he says, but seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness. And then all these things will be given to you as well. But seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. If you've ever gotten a card from me and I decide to act spiritual and leave a scripture, okay? This is probably the one I wrote, okay? Is Matthew 6:33, because it's to me it's been such a call, it's been such a a straightforward response to seek him, not everything else not looking everywhere. And, you see, and, and David knew this in the psalm. Number two, I think another reason why we get distracted, sorry, why, why we don't seek God first, is we get busy. Sometimes we just straight out get busy. One of the things I've tried recently in the last couple of years not to say, so all of you are going to call me on this now whenever I do it, okay, is not to tell people I'm too busy, okay? Because everyone's busy. How, how many of you are busy? Anyone? Right? We're all busy. Each and every one of us has stuff we have to do. You know, I can't, I'm i in control of my schedule for a lot of it, and I can decide what I think is worth making time for. And so when I found myself often saying I'm too busy, what I was usually saying was, was, oh, I didn't make time for that. A friend of mine, when I first came to faith, gave me a day planner, and uh, this was... 2001, in case you're wondering why it wasn't electronic, okay? But he gave me a day planner, and I still use paper, I love it. And uh, on the front cover of the day planner, he wrote these words for me. It's, he said, he wrote down, your day timer is your creed. What you live for is what you'll make time for. What you live for is what you'll make time for. And that made so much sense, and it, w- it, was, it was pretty convicting, actually, to have to open up and see that all the time, Right? But what is it that we're willing to prioritize our time to? I'm not sure it's always that I'm too busy. I think sometimes I just don't prioritize my time the way I should. And I don't prioritize it towards him the way I should. Number three. A third, oh, sorry, I got a couple of scriptures there. Jesus often took off and prayed, and we see that throughout scripture, that it was a priority for him. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, left the house, went off to a quiet place and prayed. In Luke 5 there, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. What you're often going to see in scripture, I was looking this up this week, is that he would often withdraw after leaving big crowds of people. It said Jesus withdrew. And went away and prayed. And you want to talk about somebody who was busy. But he knew what was priority. Number three. Final reason why I think sometimes we don't seek God first is because perhaps we've forgotten what is best. In Luke 10, we read the words, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her see, I love this psalm. I love verse three where it says, your love is better than life. David is essentially saying, if I have you, God, I already have everything. Your love is better than life itself. There is nothing here that compares to you. And so do we agree with that? Do we recognize what is best? Have we perhaps forgotten what is best, and given our time and attention and life to lesser things, when perhaps God is reaching out to us now, ready to commune and have fellowship with us. Second thing I think we learn, I'm going to spend just a short time on this as we look through this psalm, is I want to ask you this question. Do you take time to pause and remember and thank God for his faithfulness? You see, in this portion of Scripture in Psalm 62, David says, I've seen you in the sanctuary. Behold your power and your glory because your life, your love is better than life. In verses six to eight, he says, on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you're my help. I sing in the shadows of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. And he sits there and he remembers all that God has done for him. You see, and I think it's good for us as People who want to know God to remember the things that God has done for us and to be conscious of it. When was the last time you ever just spent 30 minutes sitting there thinking about the good things God's done for you? Ever journaled that down? You know, I know some people who who have gone through these um, just years where they'll buy like a moleskin or a journal And spend all 365 days, each day, writing down something they're thankful for. And scientifically, they say it just does something to a person. It changes their disposition if they're always focusing on what they're thankful for. It does something to the way they live. And I love how David just takes time here. He's running for his life. He's in a really bad spot. And he sits there and remembers God and the good things God has done. We serve a God church who loves us, who's not angry with us, who's not upset with us. And you just see the way David describes the God he approaches. Remember all that God has done for you. Do you ever take time to do this? You see, we sing songs often in church like, Great is thy faithfulness, and we sing them with integrity but do we ever take the time to truly get alone in a quiet place and just remember how faithful God has been to you and how good he's been to you? You see, I feel when we do this, like David, it brings perspective and it brings comfort. And we're not necessarily focusing on the problem it had anymore, but our focus is on him and on what he does and on maybe more importantly on what he has done. You see, my family moved here um, in December, and it was during the height of the pandemic in Manitoba. They were in, like, code red. It was, like, locked down more than anything we've ever seen in Saskatchewan. And uh, moving was difficult at the time. I couldn't have anybody over to help me. I had to hire it out. Three weeks away from moving here, we didn't have a place to live yet. I was a little bit nervous about that, okay? It wasn't something I was exactly comfortable with. And I remember myself uh, feeling like a ball of stress, and probably my wife as well, although she's way more better at handling these things than I am, Okay. But I remember, you know, just feeling like a ball of stress in that moment. And I remember, you know, probably knowing me, deciding, well, I should probably pray about this, right? And sitting down, and I remember feeling as if God whispered to me, saying this, I've been faithful all your life. With each one of your moves, I've been faithful. Will you trust me to be faithful now? And it's simple things, I think, like that recognizing that God has been good to me. God can be trusted. And David, in his heart, I think he knew with confidence that God's got this. God's going to take care of him. The mouths of liars are going to be silenced as he ends the psalm with. Even in a desert where most people are thirsty for for water, if I was there, I'd be looking for water. David doesn't even start there. He starts by saying, in a dry and barren land, I thirst for you. My soul longs for you, for your love is better than life. And his greatest desire and his greatest thirst was for more of God and to know God. And we seek a God today, church, who I think desires that relationship with us even more than we desire that relationship with him. And he has been faithful. Amen? Think about the times he's been faithful in your life. And so here's my question to us tonight as I kind of come to a conclusion. Do you seek him? Have you made him the priority of your life each day? Have we maybe settled for a faith that simply seeks to know about God or that simply seeks to do things for God, both good things in and of themselves when put in their proper place? Have we perhaps been content to know about God and do things for God at the expense of truly getting to know Him? You see, one of the better words of marital advice I was given from a mentor early in my marriage, and I haven't always been perfect at this by any means, but he told me to never stop pursuing your wife. Never stop that pursuit. Have I mastered that? No, but the advice itself is valuable, and it's been most helpful, and this is why I think a lot of us protect our date nights, and we protect our time away, and we protect that relationship. Never quit pursuing each other. You see, relationships don't work without good and regular communication and without that pursuit of one another. Your spouse doesn't just need your stuff or your provision or your commitment, but they also need your time. And in our relationship with God, we must be committed to this as well. Spending time with him. Spending time pursuing him. I'm going to let Charles Spurgeon have the last word. He says it like this. He says, He who lives without prayer... He who lives with little prayer, he who seldom reads the word, and he who seldom looks up to heaven for a fresh influence from on on high, he will be the man whose heart will become dry and barren. However, he who calls in secret on his God who spends much time in holy retirement, who delights to meditate on the words of the Most High, and whose soul is given up to Christ, such a man must have an overflowing heart. And as his heart is, such will his life be. I think at the end of the day, most of us want to have that overflowing heart that Spurgeon speaks of. And we get there when we make it a priority to seek Him first, amen? I hope we've never normalized a Christianity in our society, as Pastor John mentioned this week, that pops in for a visit every now and then. When God has called us to live each day, each moment with Him, may we recognize that we're called to pursue Him. May we seek Him. May we take time to sit back and remember how He's been faithful to us. Tonight as we worship, as we respond to Him, I want you to take some time and just ask yourself, how has God been faithful to me? And thank Him. Thank Him in your own way. Maybe ask yourself, in what ways have I actually been pursuing Him? Not not just open to it, but pursuing Him. James 4.8, a verse that was dear to me in college, says this, says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. You see, God doesn't force Himself on us. Who draws first? We do. I'm not talking about salvation here. <laughs> I'm talking about seeking Him. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. And how do we draw near to Him? Well, we draw near to Him in many ways. We draw near in prayer, in praise, in, in reading the Word of God, in, in waiting on Him biblical meditation, perhaps fasting, perhaps confession. There are many forms and ways in which we can draw near to him, but will we make it a priority this week to seek him and to remember all that he's done in our lives? Let me pray tonight. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the ways, God, in which that you've loved us, in the ways you've shown yourself faithful, Lord God. We don't deserve it, but we're thankful for it. And Father, thank you for all the ways in which you've blessed us, the ways in which you've came through, when it looked like there was no answer, Lord God, and you were always there with us. God, I just give you thanks for that today. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we look to you, as we go about this week, God, that we would make an effort, an extra effort, Lord God, to recognize that you've never left, but you're always with us. Everywhere we go, each and every day, Lord God, Give us hearts, Lord God, that hunger and thirst for that which lasts. Help us to look to you. Lord, as we draw near to you, I thank you that your word says you will draw near to us. And so speak to our hearts tonight, Lord God. Draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name,